This is your prison break coach, Allison T. Garrett, and I'm welcoming you to today's episode of the Prison Break Podcast. The title of today's episode is I Was. And over the years, as I have gone through my transformation in life, I feel that there was a period of who I was before and the process into becoming who I am today. And that stands true for all of us. Where we are today is not who we were before. Um, Even if we're not where we want to be, we're continually growing and thriving to reach this place. So when we talk about I was, you have to come from that place of where this beginning started, right? And the beginning for everyone is different um, depending on where you are and where you want to go. But I have often looked at my I was as the period in my life of, of childhood. And when we talk about trauma and we discuss how children experience trauma and then they later become resilient at some point, or, or maybe they struggle through how the traumas of their childhood still affects them as adults, uh, which is something that I'm very passionate about. I think it takes me back to when I really first started uh, really loving to read and getting into to literature and books um, that kind of simulated some form of, of story, right? So we know that, I mean, most books are a story. But when I say story, I mean, I tend to draw, be drawn to, to books that have um, stories of people. And it, it may even be a fictional book, but I personally feel like it's some sort of escape. So in exploring that, um, I came across a quote uh, from... Um, Uh, It's actually one of my favorite quotes, uh, and it is by Ernest Hemingway. And it says, the way to become a good writer is to have a lousy childhood. And I was I was talking with one of my friends uh, a little bit earlier today, and we were talking about just my choice of words in, uh, you know, just lousy. Uh, And there were several different uh, quotes, you know, or, or ways that the quote was quote was presented. And I really looked at the fact that lousy. Right. Like if you think of lousy, like what does what do you think of that? If you said I had a lousy day, that's almost like worse than a bad day. Right. So I I thought about even, you know, if I say I had a lousy childhood, what did that really mean? Or maybe what did that mean to Ernest Hemingway? So in, you know, I can only speculate, but I believe that children are, you know, we're born learners like we're born inquisitive and we're always thriving to learn. Um. But what I've realized is that children actually, um, they learn from both their experiences and formal education, right? So gradually over time, um, they develop into who they are, you know, which is where you start off at the I was. Uh, I also believe that most of our childhood experiences come to us uninvited, right? Like think of, think of the experiences that you have had as a child, You know, you didn't really get to pick any of that. You know, you have this, uh, you know, if you have a great childhood, you know, it's it's probably one of your very first experiences. Um, Similarly, if you have a bad childhood, but it's the first time where we are in a life that we cannot control. Right. So you can't control who your family is. We can't control the environment. Uh, We can't control if we're rich or we're poor 
Uh, we don't have the ability to control if we're in an abusive um, environment or even uh, an environment that's more kind. But whether your childhood is either happy or unhappy is really a matter of perspective. Because even people with similar childhood experiences have their own opinions about it, right? Like I grew up in a household with other children. We all feel differently about what that experience was like. I have children who grew up in the same household with traumatic experiences. They have grown into adults with very different views of what that childhood experience was like. So when I think about, um, you know, I kind of looked into Ernest Hemingway just from, from his quote and you know, I just learned a lot of things about his childhood. You know, he witnessed suicide at a very young age. Um, the first time he shot a gun, he was only six years old. He learned survival, survival skills when he was 10, like going out into the woods and, you know, his father teaching him how to survive on his own, you know, basically being alone. One of the most shocking uh, things that I learned was his mother was so obsessed with having twins that she dressed him as a twin with one of his other siblings. And that sibling was a girl. So, so his mother forced him to dress as a girl in frilly dresses because she was obsessed with having a twin. She even came up with another name for him, um, like a female name she was referred to him as. So I, I think that you know, even when you think about that as a childhood, like for all of us, we're sitting here, either you're thinking, oh, yeah, wow, that's terrible, you know, or maybe you think it's not so bad based on the experiences that you had. But that molded him just like it does all of us. Those experiences make you they make you who you are. This is the I was that moves you. And it was uninvited. Right. Right. So for him, as an adult, he struggled with, you know, deteriorating health. Um, he was married about four times. He fell into a deep depression and that literally um, led him to suicide at the age of 61. And what is so fascinating about this and why it's such an important part of, of everything that I have learned or studies is it shows you like this man was one of the greatest writers in American history. Like, I mean, and, and not just a writer, but just the amazing things that he accomplished. Right. Um, just having that level of greatness, but he didn't see that for himself because even his I was never brought him to a place where he fully understood or recognized his power and his greatness um, and how awesome he was in his I am. He carried that with him. And he probably lived a life that nobody knew about until he decided to write about it. Right. But none of none of that mattered. None of that mattered when you're great and you have certain things going on. You know, if you grow up and and, um, you know, you could have the amazing career, a great family, the things that people see externally. None of that matters if you're so scarred by the trauma, traumas of your childhood. None of that stuff matters because that is where you start to live a life that you feel everyone thinks you're supposed to be living and you suffer in silence and you stuff all of those things that you really feel about yourself in the I was. I, ho I hope that makes sense.
So while he was this great, um, you know, great writer and had amazing talents and, and you know, award winning um, and just so many firsts. Right. I think that really the writing provided his way of escape. He was able to escape from that person. Right. Temporarily, though, because, you know, when you're writing and I, we talked about this before is you're writing, you're you're in your element, you're doing some of the things that you love to do. You find that way of escape. But it's only temporary. It's only temporary. So what I have tried to do in my journey of transformation is figure out how can I live through or how could I have lived through the traumatic experiences of my past and finally escape it. Right. How do I escape it to live this abundant life who I was created to live to be? Before any of those things happen to me. Remember, I was created. We were created. Clean slate, you know, blank, blank canvas. And then you have your formal education and then you have your experiences. And depending on what's happening in both of those settings. Put you to the place to who you become. And I I asked myself that question a million times during my I was period. When I was going through these struggles and trying to figure out what was wrong with me, that was it. I I just kept saying to myself, like, I just want to be normal. I want to be normal. I mean, and I've even heard children say that in their traumatic experiences that they're living, you know, now or, or children that I talk to or even youth. They're like, I just want to be normal. You don't really know what that means. You just feel that there's something else inside of you that is bubbling to be released. But you're so bound. You're so imprisoned by all of those things that happened to you in childhood, similarly to Ernest Hemingway. So I thought about what does it start with, right? When you set out to move from your I was to your I am, you really have to start embracing your story and not your made up story. Remember, you got you got to leave that one at the door. You have to leave that alter ego, that facade, that mask, as we call it, the thing that you think other people want to see. You got to have a moment, a truthful conversation with yourself. And sometimes it needs to be out loud. You got to say it out loud to yourself. You got to write it down. You got to ask yourself, what is it that is holding me back? How can I embrace my story? The story that you pretended didn't happen. The story that your parents said, don't you leave this house and tell anybody my business. The story that causes that humiliation and that shame. And for everyone, it's different. But you got to find that space. You got to find that place. And I am one who who believes that there are certain things that happen to us in our, our childhood. And we determine at that moment how we are going to deal with because of how we view the world. Right. Something happens. It's usually in youth. And you say, daggone it, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. So this is how this is who I'm going to be. Right. Let's just say you're somebody that's bullied all your life. One minute you say, you know what, I'm never going to speak up because every time I speak up, I get picked on. Right. So this is how you grow into an adult and you are fearful of sharing your truth because someone is always picked on you for it. I mean, that's just one of many examples. 
So I, I started diving in. I started diving into my story and I didn't want it to be the one that I made up. And I didn't have a lot of history on my story. So I had to do I had to do a little bit of research and I had to figure out where did this all begin? And this is where it gets crazy. Right. So. I was born. Um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York um, in the 70s, actually 1970, May 21st. And. I learned through research that my uh, birth parents were teen, were, they were teenagers. So 16 years old, um, started learning about who they were, like, how did, how did I end up here? And what caused me to start doing research was I went to get a, I needed an original birth certificate for something. I think I was preparing to travel. This was in 1999. I was preparing to travel and I went to get a birth certificate and the woman at the counter kept saying that my birth certificate was amended. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, I don't know what she's talking about. My birth certificate was amended. So in adoption proceedings, um, in certain States, uh, and in certain, the, the, depending on how your adoption is processed, you are given an amended birth certificate, which shows the person who adopted you as your birth parent. And of course, I could go today and call that an illegal document. But, you know, I mean, I, I went through so much with 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 that whole process. But I learned that my birth certificate was amended. And I'm trying to figure out what that means. So I do some some digging and some research and I find this agency and I write them a letter so all of the information that I that I received came from a letter from an adoption agency in New York City. So, as I said, I learned that my parents were, you know, they were teenagers. They were 16 years old. Um, you know, when I look at how they described my mom, she was described as petite and stylish. She was really attractive, neatly groomed. I'm like, OK, mom, <laughs> she was intelligent, um, soft spoken. She was an 11th grader uh, and she loved sports and music and she wanted to be a nurse. She was actually at that time, she just got accepted into a nursing school. And then um, I learned about my father. He was also considered very handsome, tall, slim, very polite, articulate, um, intelligent and dressed very well. So, you know, you're re you know, I'm reading that and I'm like, these seem like people I, you know, I know. <laughs> right. It's like. Even certain things that, that I learned about them, it's like, you know, you, how could you be so much like people that you've, you've never met or don't even remember spending time with? Um, so during this process, I was, uh, they were, um, you know, they were young, of course, and they had hoped to get married one day. That was their whole thing. So my grandmother finds out that she's pregnant and she's telling her that there is no way that you were having this child. Um, she wants her to give me up for adoption. Fights and fights and fights consistently in the home um, throughout that period of time. So my mom ended up running away. Um, subsequently, she ended up on drugs and she, they would go and find her. They would bring her back. They would say it was okay. And then she would run again. So eventually she had me and she, her and my, my birth father had decided that they were going to, um, put me into temporary foster care. 
because they were very active in 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 planning um, and they felt that this was something that wasn't going to last continually. So I was placed in foster care while they continued to try to get their lives together. Uh, Of course, being too young, but they still believed that it was something that they could do. So fast forward, you know, we move into a few years later. Uh, My mom, again, just really struggled with the idea of not being able to take me home. And she just continued on this downward spiral. So at some point, um, not only was she using drugs, but she uh, ended up being diagnosed with leukemia. And at the age of 19, she passed away. And I was a secret from my birth father. So he had no idea. He just assumed that I was being taken care of by her family because there was no more communication at that point. So years had gone by and he decides to come forward to a court case because I could not be legally adopted until they had him relinquish his parental rights. All that time he continued to refuse, refuse, refuse. So he comes up, it's about, I'm about seven years old at this time and he comes forward. He had, you know, gone through college and said he was ready. He had his parents with them and they come to court and they say that they're ready to take me home. Long story short, they lose in the court case because the judge determined that I had already been with this adoptive family for so long, it was in my best interest that I stayed with that family. So they were able to adopt me. And I think, um, you know, when I talk about the story and I talk about the I was and I talk about coming to terms with that, there were a lot of different phases where I felt, you know, at one point I felt like, how dare they, you know, how dare that be able to be allowed? Like, how does that just happen? You know, and I went through a period of trying to locate family, you know, and, and then maybe trying to find who my father was. I'm like, well, if he's, you know, went through all that trouble to come back, he has to want to know where I am. You know, so I, I've never got to find out who uh, my father was. Um, I did find out who my mom was, her name. Um, I was able to connect with her siblings, um, which was amazing. And there was always still this, this, this piece of this, right? So now rem- remember, I'm an adult finding out all of this information, but I'm still in a chaotic chaotic lifestyle. Like 1999, I was still out of control. There were still things happening. Um, but I think it started to make more sense in, in me looking back and realizing where, where did I come from? Where did all this come from? So then I started thinking about how, even with a lot of the personalities and things that I learned about my parents, it caused me to really consider the idea of trauma being inherited. So I started digging into that a little bit more. And there has been research done that says trauma can actually leave like chemical marks on a person's genes when it's passed down from generation to generation. So we can't talk about this idea of trauma in our childhood and not explore 
the fact of where it may have come from. While many of us may have had traumatic experiences, consider the fact that it was in your genes. Do you ever have like, do do you know families or people that things, it's like very similar and it's just passed down. They call it like a generational curse. But these are things that can be inherited. So it just kind of blew me away. So me believing that I had been born into some sort of, um, you know, inherited trauma based on just the stories that I could only imagine that my mom dealt with, with going through uh, having me, you know, I, I just started really trying to think of how did, you know, again, still, how did I end up here? So I ended up being adopted um, into the Butler family, which was in Jamaica, Queens. And there were six of us. So there were five siblings and one niece. There were five girls and one boy. It was a single family home, two bedrooms, one bath. Uh, Four girls slept in one room. Oldest sister slept in the room by herself. And my brother had a makeshift room out on the porch. Now, what was crazy about my childhood in that home was first of all we're living with parents who are obviously the ages of all of my friends grandparents so they're definitely a lot older a little bit more strict and their way of discipline was where I experienced my first um, episodes of trauma or, or abuse if so to speak And each of us had a unique experience. We had a unique relationship with our parents. So in this home, I was often favored and given a lot of responsibility. Like as the, as the one that was, I I was very ambitious. So if anything was going on, I would always come up and I'm like, this is what I want to do, or I want to help, or I'm, I'm here. So I was used a lot in the instance of, um, almost like the example of, you know, this is what you do. This is how you do this. This is how you, you, um, you know, move throughout the world. So there was this, this weird way of being favored and more so witnessing the abuse, which was also abusive to me because what that did was it had me in a home with siblings that I felt like I was able to tell them what to do and they had to listen to me and that was fully supported. So I'd never really got to be a sibling child, right? Very early on, I took on this role. Like I'm the one that you have to listen to. I'm going to tell you what to do when you're going to listen. And when you, when you think about that, you think of, and I just think of situations in the home, right? So certain things we weren't allowed to do. I mean, and when we talk about like growing up in a black family, some of these things are, are not unique, but some of them are very um, traumatic, right? So we, we had all these rules. There were so many rules, you know, first of all, we couldn't go anywhere in the house without permission. When we went to bed, there was like an alarm set across the floor to make sure no one came down the steps in the middle of the night. We weren't allowed to go to the bathroom, like use the bathroom. We were using a a bucket, like those big buckets that you see at the grocery store that they deliver potato salad in, that's what we had. That's where we had to use the bathroom. 
you know, food was, was, was rationed, but if you begged, you had to, you were forced to sit and eat the whole pot of it. You know, we all had to come home at the same time. So there's this frantic move for everybody to come home from school at the same time. And if we didn't, we all got beaten. I mean, I remember times where we were forced to fight each other while my mom sat in the window and watched us. That's traumatic. That's not, that's not normal. And then when you think of, when you think of what we, what, what, what we endured and what we had to see, we had to see name calling, you know, being watching, you know, you're in the it family. If you do anything wrong, you are in it. You are in the it family and no one was allowed to talk to you. And it just, it just goes on and on and on and not really understanding the full magnitude of that. Right. And, you know, we talk about, I talked about this whole, you know, some uh, abuse and kind, like, I think there was, there was such a mix of that. It was very confusing. One minute you could see this kindness where, you know, we could sit around and have a, um, you know, like a, somebody's birthday and we could create a dance and we can dance around and bake a cake and have a great time. So it wasn't, it wasn't all bad, but that's where your world is framed. That's where my world was framed. It's like, this is the way things are supposed to be. This was my normal. I didn't know any other, any other experience. But I think where it really hit for me in um, my level of trauma was being given so much responsibility. And at the age of 13, my mom passed away. And I witnessed her have a heart attack with my older sister trying to take direction from 911 to perform CPR. This was the day after Christmas. And when I look back at that event, we literally moved into days as usual right after that happened. I could remember going to a funeral, but I don't, I don't ever remember anyone asking me specifically how I was feeling or what did I need. I think I can remember collectively because there were so many of us, there was so much outpour to my, to my dad. You know, like what was he going to do with six kids? We were like ranging age seven to uh, 15 maybe. It's like, what is he going to do? But what about what I was going to do? And that's one of those times where I feel like at that moment, I decided how I was going to operate in this world so that that could not happen to me again. So what did I do? I became the mom. <laughs> Dropped out of school in eighth grade and helped my dad take care of my siblings to where I'm roller skating to the laundromat and I'm getting on the bus to go to the bank. Like all of these things that I was learning because I was always so eager and in their face, that now became my responsibility at 13. So I, I missed out on just the opportunity of a childhood in my opinion, 
And of course, when I'm going through it, when you're going through it as a child, you don't think about that. I didn't think about that at that time. I just felt like I was doing what I had to do. This was this is something that I had to do. You know, not only are I t- am I taking care of my siblings, but I'm taking care of my dad. You know, he's working two jobs. I'm like cooking, cleaning, making sure he has his stuff out when he comes home. Iron is like I'm doing I'm doing everything. And that's where I started to create this this false sense of um, I had to find it and do it by any means necessary. So because I was responsible over so many things, I took advantage of the fact that I could just take money from where I knew it was and just start going shopping. You know, I'm like, what do you guys need? They would tell me what they need. I'd go downtown Jamaica Avenue and I'd go shopping and I'd bring them back everything. And now I'm like, I'm still great. Like I'm still being praised. I'm still being acknowledged for being so smart and keeping it together. And I'm not sharing this story just to share a story. I want you to think of where you can find yourself in your life. Where did you make a decision and how did you move and operate and how did that affect you as an adult? As an adult, I carried that with me because I had to fix everything all the time by any means necessary. Didn't matter if I didn't know what I was doing. I had to figure it out. So I go through all of that. And I'm, you know, I I don't feel like I'm struggling. I'm missing out on everything, but I don't realize it. I don't recognize it. I'm just, I'm moving. And now I have become comfortable with a chaotic situation or pushing through trauma and pain. So I didn't have time to even act like I was sad because when someone came to me sad, I had to have the answer for them. I had to be the big sister or the aunt that had, had it all together. Right. Two years later, my dad dies. And I can remember he had been sick. He had been sick, but it was it was like light. It was like, you know, he had some condition with his legs and he had to go get them drained and he was going to the hospital. So going to the hospital, playing surgery, he goes in and um, we go to the hospital to visit one day. And, you know, like I like here I am two years later, we're on the bus going to the hospital with my siblings. And we go into the room where he's supposed to be and he's not there. So we're like, where's daddy? And they're like, nobody called you. We're like, called us what? Now, remember, we're kids. We're kids. We're operating in this world all by ourselves, trying to, to, to do what we, we know to do. We're just going to visit. And we had received the information that he had passed away. And I use this analogy in my book. Um, My book is I Was, I Am, How to Move Beyond Your Past to Create an Extraordinary Life. And I feel like when I heard that news, I started running, running down the hallway, running out of the hospital. And I said at that moment, I think I just kept running. Not just then, but throughout my entire life, I ran from every Every situation that you could think of, that was what I had to do. I couldn't deal with it. I had to run. And again, when you you think about that as a kid, the only thing that I was supposed to do was to listen to adults. 
because they knew what was best for me. Now, I'm not saying that that's not necessarily the case, but I think this always brought me to the point of adults. I grew up believing that adults thought they were smarter just because they were adults. You know, in my house, it was, it's because I said you, you do it. You do it because I said you do it. Like we didn't have an opinion. There was no discussion. It was, I said, this is what you're going to do. And this is what you're going to do. If I say that you're going to stand out here and you're going to fight each other and I'm going to pour this hose on you until somebody is done, until you guys get done for my entertainment, then that's what you're going to do. So I feel like I started to mistrust anyone in authority and I was just going to do it my way. I was going to do it on my own. So at that time, we're still living in New York. So now we have to figure out where are all these kids going? These six kids, where are they going? What are they going to do? And I think for about a few months, because this was like in November, I think I was trying to convince my sister who lived in Delaware. She was older and she was going to take us in. And I'm like, I don't want to go. I'm not going to Delaware. I'm going to stay in New York. That's where my friends are. You know, and in my opinion, I had already been doing everything for the last four years. So why was I going to move somewhere? I knew what I was doing. I was going to live on my own. And it just didn't work out, even though my my friend's mom agreed to let me stay there. It just didn't it it didn't work out. So I ended up, um, you know, finding my way to Delaware. And that was equally traumatic. I can remember sitting on the floor in the little house in Dunleith every single night when no one else saw just crying in the dark. And I'm telling myself, I'm never making friends. I don't like these people. I don't want to be here. Like I was angry. And again, no one ever asked me what I needed, how I was feeling, how they could help. The help and the thoughts of help automatically went to who? The adult. And that's not taking anything away from, you know, her role in this and what she did. Like she literally took in six kids without even having very much. And even that took me a while to process. You know, for years, I was still that angry little kid that hated her for everything she did. But this is how we move from, from I was to I am. In your childhood... If you're still carrying that as an adult, your mindset is still back when you were that child. This happened to me when I was 15 and I hated the world like I was still 15, even at the age of 30. But don't don't forget what this is. This is all about. This is talking about how your experiences and trauma as a child affect you as an adult. So these are just some of the examples of of where my mind frame was and, and what I thought at that time. So I get to Delaware and of course, you think I think I don't know everything? That didn't change. You know, I didn't want to be there. So I spent a lot of time running away. Um, I had friends who would vouch for me, pretend that I wasn't there so I could stay. Um, 
I was just very unhappy. And I presented this me to the world because I was so smart and intelligent. And it just, I let that, I let that be my guide, right? I could always walk into some place and, um, and get what I want because I was already an adult. So I want you to really consider, you know, what was that event for you where you decided how you was going to operate in the world so that what happened to you never happened again? And if you're honest, you will find that space. And if you want to move from I was to I am, you will begin to tell the story. And when I say tell the story, I don't necessarily mean that this has to be a public story. You don't have to go spread it out to the world. I mean, I have um, built myself up to this because I truly believe that the place that I'm in, in telling a story is not only a place of healing or has been a place of healing for me, but my storytelling gives other people permission to tell their story. It removes the shame. It removes the stigma. I mean, this is just a piece. This is just a snapshot. But I don't want you to, I don't want you to necessarily look at the fact that, you know, what, whether this experience was the same as yours, but can you find a common, something, a common thread And this is how I ended up in this work that I do today is because the more I told my story, the more people that I looked at as average every day, I mean, successful um, people that you wouldn't even recognize when they have something holding them back. It is likely tied to something traumatic in their childhood. And I always like to even share that Trauma is not always physical abuse or sexual abuse. It is really, for me, it was the emotional abuse of never feeling heard. Never feeling heard or understood or um, just never being able to be in a space where I could have that conversation and say, you know, say what it was. I mean, we've come a long way, but I think as a whole, a lot of us still look at children as being seen and not heard. And a lot of us discount the fact that if we have to move, you know, we're just telling them, oh, it's just something that mommy and daddy have to do. You know, I can think of so many experiences where it's like, why, why is this happening? You know, even something as simple as getting all my pictures thrown away. When I moved from New York to Delaware, I had a box of pictures like, and you know, like you take your school pictures and you have your baby pictures and you have all that. And it was like, I wanted to take them with me. And it's like, we can't take those right now. And I'm like, but it's just a box. I just want to take, we can't take those right now. And I, I was never able to recover those photos. Do you know how long it took me to get over that? I mean, I feel like I'm welling up now thinking about it. That was traumatic because as an adult, when you have people sharing baby pictures and they're talking about their experiences, I'm like, I don't have any of that. So we simplify the things that we go through 
when we really just need to lay it out on the table. Like enough of, you know, nursing the wound and covering it with the Band-Aid. Like you got to get up and rip that damn Band-Aid off and feel it. Feel every piece of it. Feel every part of whatever it was that you went through that you could not talk about. I don't care what it is. I I had a workshop once and I could remember, you know, talking about, you know, trauma and traumatic experiences as a child. And I, there was a woman um, probably in her thirties and we did this exercise where you kind of stand up when something is mentioned and you look around the room and you see all the people who have the same experience you had. And one of these things was, I wish I had a best friend. Now we take for granted that we have friends and we say we have a best friend and, but this woman is like in tears. And she said, as a kid growing up, she always wanted to have a best friend, but she didn't. She never let anybody get close to her because her mother always told her that she didn't need friends. So it, there's, there's so many ways that you can view this and really see it for what it is. Right. So things didn't get too much better for me. You know, when I moved to Delaware, um, I did just the bare minimum. You know, I had the potential to excel. I had the potential to, you know, just apply myself. But I didn't really think I had to. I just kind of got by, did the bare minimum. I wasn't when, when I tell people that today that don't know me or didn't grow up with me. And I tell them that I was never involved in any committees in school. And like I wasn't a part of anything. I just wanted to get through life. <laughs> There's some periods where you, you just want to get through life. Like even as adult, you ever feel like I don't, I don't need all that stuff. I don't need all, I just want to get through day by day. I just want to get up and I want to take a shower and put my clothes on and be just be happy that I can move out of the bed. That's real. That is real for people. So, you know, I'm in Delaware, I'm running away, I'm, you know, getting all caught up. It wasn't even, I wasn't with any bad crowds. I just kind of made my own bad crowd with just me. And, um, I mean, I, I just found myself in, you know, the worst relationships, abusive relationship, pregnant as a teen, still always trying to be on my own. And I just wanted to make it. And all the while, still never addressing any trauma, still never really finding a place where I could just tell someone how I really felt. I walk through life being unexceptional because of the pressure. The pressure that it would take for me to be real because I had worn a mask for years. Anything I was going through, no one ever knew what I was going through. Any of you ever have that? Do you ever find yourself in experiences that no one knows because you can't tell anybody? And guess how we play it down? We say, oh, well, nobody cares and I'm not telling nobody my business. And you know, like those are not truthful answers. Those are the things that we tell ourselves as excuses to keep ourselves stuck. 
So there's there's a whole lot, you know, there's a whole lot to my life. There's a whole lot of layers to my story. There's a whole lot of reasons behind some of the things that I did and why I did what I did. But I think I wanted to give just a uh, just a snapshot of what it was like growing up and what that meant and how I ended up here. And everything that I'm sharing with you today is not something that I knew, obviously, back then. This comes from years of studying and therapy and reading psychology and being fascinated with the human brain and learning about the reality of cognitive skills and how you can change your behavior just by changing your thinking. This is how I got to where I am today. But I just want to encourage you to think about what it is that either you have inherited in the form of trauma, something that may have been passed down from generation to generation in the area of trauma, things that may have happened to you in childhood and youth and young adult in the form of trauma. And I can guarantee you, if you are ready to unpack that suitcase of burdens and secrets and lies and shame and humiliation and pain, one piece at a time, you will have a better understanding of your I was. And without it, you will never get to the I am. And I always share with with others that when we talk about this whole uh, prison experience, you know, a lot of people listen, they're like, oh, yeah, great. Allison, that's a great story. I've never, you know, I've never been to physical prison. Well, nothing I shared with you today really even had anything to do with the physical prison experience. It just shows how we are imprisoned in our minds from a very young age. And it's based on our experiences in childhood that have come to us uninvited. But I encourage you to invite, invite them, invite them in, revisit them. Because you're not where you used to be. You're a lot stronger today than you were then. You have a voice now where you feel like you didn't have it then. And that's what Prison Break is all about. It's about moving from who you were, which is the I was period, and moving to the I am, to who you are today and just being better and better. And the more you show up being authentic little by little, eventually you find yourself in this place where you just create every beautiful and amazing thing about your life. I'm a, I'm a witness. And I recognize that this experience in a whole is not just for me. I recognize everything I went through and how I can speak on it today is for others. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. It is my mission to free people from the prison. 
the prison in their mind, those lost hopes and dreams, the things that you wish you could could do or you've always thought about or you kind of tucked under the rug. You know, your maybe your mental prison is you pull up at that job every day. I mean, not many of us are pulling up at a job today just based on the situation at hand. But you can remember you pull up and you just have knots in your stomach because you're like, why am I here? Why, why haven't I started that business? Or maybe you started that business and it wasn't quite what you thought it would be. Maybe you're not yielding anything on it because you just keep finding yourself in this circle. Like every time I get here, I feel like I, you hear that saying, I take two steps forward and four steps back. That's because you have not addressed something that has already occurred and you're holding on to it and you're dragging it with you. Maybe you've ended a relationship. You know, maybe you've, you know, thought you had the love of your life or maybe you're recovering from, from a divorce. You know, I've been there, done that. And now I couldn't be happier. But that doesn't happen by accident. Maybe you struggle to connect with people. Maybe you just don't have the sort of friendships that you feel like you should have. That's real too. So before you start to think that a story about prison is not anything that has that is not anything that you have anything to do with. I beg to differ. I think that most of us can find one door of a prison that we need unlocked. And that's why we're going to continue to have these conversations. So if you're you're interested in in learning more please don't hesitate to visit my website. Uh, it is prisonbreakcoach.com. Um, my book is for sale there. It's I Was, I Am, How to Move Beyond Your Past to Create an Extraordinary Life. Um, and again, it is not a prison story. You will find yourself in this story just like you may have found yourself in this story today. So be encouraged and be extraordinary.